So, you know, taking note of those things, what are the routines? What is the structure of the classroom? Is there a spot where the kids know to get their materials and turn in materials? How do they get a pencil? How do they get the materials that they need for the day? Where are their books? Where's their notebooks? What are they expected? You know, what does the board look like? So just, you know, watching an experienced teacher and then sitting down with that teacher and talking about how did they learn how to do this? All right, guys, I am here today with Nancy, who is a teacher and a good friend. I think it's really important for future teachers to seek out veteran teachers and learn from them. And I know that actual on-the-job experiences can vary from person to person. So I'm excited to get Nancy's take on the education profession. So Nancy, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, it's good to be here, Jameson. So let's start off. How long have you been a teacher, Nancy? Oh, that's a my career path with teaching has been a little bit non-traditional. Yeah. I graduated from the University of North Texas in 1994 with a music education degree, taught private voice and piano for a few years, got my first classroom, elementary music classroom in 1999, did that for a couple of years, then stayed home to have my third child and was home with him for a few years and then went back into the classroom in 2006 as a music teacher, and then through a series of events, which we can talk about, found myself teaching English and history and fell in love with that, just fell in love with teaching English, teaching history. I taught fifth grade. They were fabulous. Did that for a few years and then some family circumstances. I took some time off from teaching again. And about four years ago, came back into the classroom. I just, I can't stay out of it. Yeah. Um, Can't stay away. So this will be, I'm going into my fifth year at my school right now. So I guess that's all together somewhere between 12, 15 years. However yeah, you- something like that, but it's good. So you've got kind of a <laughs> wide, wide range to draw from. So that that's actually going to be really helpful. I think what age do you teach right now? Uh, seventh grade. Okay. So seventh grade. So middle school teacher, do you teach uh, one specific subject or do you have one class? I've been an English teacher. Okay. That's been what I'm doing, what I'm doing. I'm, my job has actually shifted. Yeah. And so we can talk about that as part of this too, but yeah, yeah. seventh grade English. Gotcha. Seventh grade English teacher. So Nancy, walk me through the education piece. Obviously, I think everybody knows you probably need a bachelor's to be a teacher and then you need a teaching certificate. I know you recently just got your master's degree. Tell me about that. Do you feel like that was necessary, needed, worth it? Walk me through like, what do people need as far as the education is concerned? Well, to be a teacher, you do have to have a bachelor's degree. Now, some states do require a master's. It just kind of depends on state to state, but at the very least, a bachelor's teaching public schools. And then you take your certification tests. And again, that varies state to state what's required. I got my master's. The opportunity presented itself to get a master's in reading education mm-hmm. in literacy because that's my passion. And so financially, it's not a big boost. Doesn't help you too much financially. There's, a, there's, there's like a $1,500 a year stipend a year. Gotcha. <laughs> so yeah. it's not huge. <laughs> but I think the education part, because, you know, when you're, when you're studying for your bachelor's degree, you have to take your math and your history and PE and all these classes that are good to take, you know, that's a body of knowledge that's important. But as far as like 
focusing in on one area of passion or one area of expertise, you don't really get that opportunity take general pedagogy classes and things like that. So having the opportunity to focus in on an area that I'm particularly passionate about and spend the better part of three years digging into that area of education, that part is hard to put a value on just because the body of knowledge, the experiences, the exposure to research-based practices and, you know, things like that. Sounds like it just makes you a lot better at the job and more equipped. Yes. Yeah. Nancy, how, I know that there's kind of a teacher shortage in a lot of areas of the United States right now. How hard or easy do you think it is to land that first teaching job out of college or out of finishing your teaching certificate? In the past, it's been a little more competitive. Mm -hmm. Right now, pretty easy. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a huge need for teachers right now. I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, later on, but I just kind of wanted to get, get a sense of that. Like, Hey, there's a lot of opportunity. If this is an area of passion for you, you probably are going to get a job. And that's, you know, that's good for the applicants because you can pick like what district, what area, what grade level, what subject, you know, there's some choice there and you can find a good fit. That is a really good point. It's not just you have to take the scraps of whatever's available to you first thing. You might actually get a say in your first job, which is not always the case. <laughs> yes. No, it's not always. It was not the case in my experience, but yeah. it's, it's, it's good for the applicants. It's really good. So Nancy, what skills do you think are most important to hone to be an excellent teacher? I would say an understanding of kids, mm-hmm. just understanding the developmental process. You can't expect, you know, I teach junior high, right? We're kind of a special breed, right? (laughs) But you can't expect a 12-year-old, even though they may look like an adult, you know, a lot of my girls, the boys have facial hair, like they're, they grown, but they're not, you know, they're keeping in mind the developmental stages of a child. Yeah. Attention span, just one of the basic ones. And then the other thing would be just developing those relationships with the kids. All the other stuff, content, classroom management, best practices, all those things can be learned and honed over time. But if you don't have that basis of understanding who your clientele is and then how to build relationships with them, the rest of it is just noise. All right, Nancy. So this next question might be a little hard to answer because I know that there's a lot of variety in what you do, but walk me through a day in the life of a teacher, because obviously everybody knows they know what a classroom looks like and what a teacher might be doing in the classroom, but there's a lot more to the job than that. So can you walk me through, like, let's take a Monday, for example, and walk me through from start to finish, what would you be doing? So on a Monday, theoretically, you'd get to work before the students get there. You would make sure that lessons, copies, supplies are set for the day. On Mondays, our lesson plans are due to our administration. So you'd want to make sure that that's submitted. Depending on the week, there might be some morning duty, helping to supervise the kids as they come in or before the bell rings or something like that. There's hallway duty as the kids are going to class, being present, just being, you know, uh, supervising all those things. Depending, you know, it varies. Elementary school would obviously be different than junior high because I don't have one group of kids all day. I have five classes of 20 to 30 kids, depending on the class size. So in my world this last year, first period was what we call our PLC. It's our professional learning community. That's our time for our team to get together. Mm -hmm. 
and plan and look at data and you know where do we need to go as a department what are our kids struggling with how are we going to take them where they need to go so that would be first period second period rolls around and i've got my first class of pre-ap seventh graders rolling in i've got them for 50 minutes mm-hmm. um, and it's pretty pedal to the metal they walk in they have work my kids are very rarely doing nothing you know so and i'm you know, we've got to take attendance. There's announcements that come on. Uh, the phone rings. The attendance office needs this. The principal needs that. The secretary needs this kid. The nurse needs that kid. Um, there's a knock on the door. So and so needs this book. Can you, you know, and all of that's happening pretty much every class period. Able to manage a lot of moving pieces. Yes. And I'm not the kind of teacher that's like what we might call the sage on the stage where you stand up there and lecture. Yep. I much prefer my kids to be working autonomously. I'm working in small groups. I'm conferencing yeah. students. I'm, you know, and a lot more collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot more collaboration. By the time they get to junior high, they should be able to work on their own Yeah. a little more. So my class generally is a little noisier. Uh, there's generally a lot of lively debates happening, uh, but we have a good time. That's good. Um, we have... So that would be what my five classes look like. Then we have what's called an advisory class, mm-hmm. which is about 30 minutes. Uh, right now, we're using that time to fulfill the state's tutoring mandates, which is a whole other soapbox. Uh, <laughs> I'll let about- you get on the soapbox once or twice in this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yes, I, have, I have a few. Um, so that's about 30 minutes and then the kids go to lunch and that's my lunch. And, Mm -hmm. uh, in the state of Texas, we have what's called a 30 minute duty-free lunch. That means for that 30 minutes, we have no responsibilities except you get to eat. Yeah. We get to eat. It doesn't always work out that way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, very often because I haven't had a chance to sit down, check my emails, you know, and there's four to five different email groups, our administrative, our campus email, other things that I'm a part of, content area. Um, I'm also the student council advisor. So there might be, you know, my students might need to get a hold of me or, yeah. you know, so that's kind of my time to sit down and check those things, get ready for the afternoon. We also have, my campus is, is, I like this about my campus. We have, so we have the PLC, which is the team planning. And then we have our conference time, yeah. which is, that's my work time. That's my, I don't have kids. I don't have meetings. Well, technically, technically, um, but that's my planning time, grading time, all those kinds of things. And then afternoon classes, again, 50 minutes back to back, you know, four minute passing period after school depends on the day. Mm-hmm. Could be staff meetings, other committee meetings, student council meetings, planning grading that didn't get done during the day. So contract hours would be, our contract hours are 835 to 435. I'm sure you work more hours than those contract hours. Yes, most of us do. Um, it's very rare that you find a teacher that works their contract hours and no more. How many hours a week are you actually putting in for the job on a ballpark? probably in the ballpark of 60 to 70. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm hearing. You know, I think people think about teachers and we'll talk a little bit about this as far as work-life balance. Like, oh, well, you get all these days off and all this stuff. It's like, first off, those are may not always be really off. And then secondly, when you're working, you're working much more than what your contracted hours tend to be. That, that tends to be what I've heard. 
Well, if you, you know, take, for example, first week of school, August, right? We have registration. We have meet the teacher night. So we're at school all day, have kids all day. We have about an hour to reset the classroom. And then here come the parents for meet the teacher night. We'll get out of there 8.30. Yep. We've gotten to school, you know, even if you get there at your contract time, that's a 12-hour day. Definitely. Those aren't rare. Well, Nancy, I feel like you've hit the next three questions I had on my list. So we're moving right along, actually. This is awesome. So we're going to get into some of the, some of the good stuff, but I want to hit this as well. What What's the most challenging part of the job to you personally? What do you think is the most challenging part of the teaching profession? I would say the most challenging thing is honestly the way we handle testing. Hmm. Do you think that that's a Texas-specific issue or is that a nationwide issue? I think Texas has its own unique challenges challenges uh, i do think it's a nationwide it, okay. it started it really ramped up back during the no child left behind era and the standardized testing monster that was always behind the scenes sort of threatening became center stage yeah i think although i i would agree that some testing and standards are necessary mm-hmm. um, i think that the way we have created this monster is it's one of the things that's driving teachers out of the profession. It is one of the things that is causing a rift between administrators and teachers, yeah. between parents and teachers, between teachers and students. You know, it's, it's causing all these unnecessary rifts in a system where the relationships are everything. So I would say that is our biggest challenge. Texas, Texas is notorious. Yes. For our standardized testing being a mess. Yeah. I know many teachers and I, I hear that echoed from all of them. So I, that is something. Um, so on the flip side of that, I do want to hear some of the good stuff. What's the best part of your job, Nancy? Why, why do you stay? The kids. The kids. Kids. Absolutely. The kids. I'm moving into a different role this next year. I'm going to be what's called an instructional coach, which means I'll be working with teachers on honing their skills as teachers, growing in their, growing in the profession for them. Yeah. Um, kind of like a mentor or a coach for them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was kind of a, when the position came available, my administration kept asking me, are you going to apply for this? Are you going to apply for this? I was like, I hadn't really thought about it. Um, and finally, my dad gave me a piece of advice many, many years ago that he said, always take the interview because hmm. you never know. And so on my dad's advice, I sat down for an interview with my principal and as she was asking me questions and as we were having this discussion, I was like, oh yeah, I do want to do this. But my principal has, she will let me keep my role as student council advisor so that I have some interaction with the kids. But yeah, the kid, the kids are absolutely, people ask me, how can you teach junior high? I'm like, they're amazing. They're hilarious. They are. I actually love that age too. I know that it's kind of notorious, but junior hires, if you, if you know how to relate to them, they can be the most fun and hilarious and just ridiculous kids. They really are. They're my, I tell them all the time. You're the sweatiest, stinkiest, most amazing humans. (laughs) They really just are. They're funny and thoughtful and the things they come up with sometimes. Um, And I love that they're still, they're little kids in big bodies. Yes. And so sometimes they still, they need a hug. They need a, Hey, cut it out. You're better than that. You know, they need those. That kind of guidance. Yeah. Nurturing guidance. Um, But they're also, they're brilliant, you know, and they come up with things that they're deep thinkers. 
So it's such a critical juncture in their life too, that you get to be a part of, you really can be the person that sets them on a better path than maybe they would have otherwise gone on. And that matters. Yeah. Setting them up for high school. Cause we talk a lot about decision-making and critical thinking and basically kind of like playing chess, like think 10 moves ahead of what you're about to do. Yeah. That's good. Nancy, what do you wish that you knew about the job or the industry when you were first starting out? I wish I knew more about the practicalities of it. You know, understanding pedagogy and child development is important, but we didn't spend a whole lot of time on things like how to plan a lesson. Hmm. You'd think that that would be central. You would think, (laughs) you know, but it's not the things like classroom management, all the little systems and routines that you put in place so that you can do the actual teaching. One thing that I've done is I've been a mentor teacher for student teachers coming from the local university. And they always say the same thing. They're like, yeah, class didn't teach us how to do this. Yeah. You know, it really. It's something you learn on the job. You do. And you learn it. It's trial by fire. You learn it because you have to. And you learn, you know, the practicalities of you always have more planned than you can do in a day. Because some of them will blow right through it. And then you're standing there looking at them. We do now. The classroom management, things like what do they do when they come in? Where do they get a pencil? Where do they put their papers to be graded? Where do they put their chairs? How do they line up? You know, you still got to teach the junior hires what to do when the bell rings. Where do you put your books when you come into class so that we're not tripping all over each other's backpacks? Um, How do you go to the bathroom? You know, all of those things are things you don't think about. Um, And unless somebody says, hey, what are you going to do about that? Oh, right. Little things like that that you think you would get in class and, you know, student teaching for the programs that do that. There are some that don't, but you really don't. And I wish I'd known more about that. Interesting. Are there any resources specific to that, that an up and coming teacher might be able to look at? How can they learn classroom management before they're actually in the job or just other different practicalities? Anything come to mind? A couple of things I would recommend. Harry Wong's uh, First Days of School. It's kind of a classic classroom management book and, you know, things like what to do with greeting the kids. How do you greet the kids? What is the expectation when they come in? Uh, What's the expectation for when you're speaking, when they're speaking? What is that? What do all the routines look like? Um, So it's a great resource to start with. And then honestly, find an experienced teacher and go in and observe for that specific thing. Because a lot of times what you don't, what you don't notice, all of those things are sort of the, when you watch an experienced teacher, you don't see all of the ways that those things have been practiced. You know, the, the ways that the kids know exactly what they're supposed to do. And so go in and observe and watch all the little routines, all the little, the nuances of how do you go to the bathroom? You know, in my class, I had a pass and all they had to do was the universal signal, right? They'd raise their hand, do a little bit. If there was nobody, if the pass was there, they could go. So it didn't have to interrupt instructional time. It didn't have to interrupt anybody else. Miss, I have to go to the bathroom, you know, because they will do that. So, you know, taking note of those things, what are the routines? What is the structure of the classroom? Is there a spot where the kids know to get their materials and turn in materials? How do they get a pencil? How do they get the materials that they need for the day? Where are their books? Where's their notebooks? What are they expected? You know, what does the board look like? 
So just, you know, watching an experienced teacher and then sitting down with that teacher and talking about how did they learn how to do this? Yeah, that's perfect advice. So Nancy, who would be a good fit for teaching? And then on the flip side, who might think that they're a good fit for teaching and then find out actually this profession is not for me? It's easier to start with the second one. (laughs) Yeah, go go ahead. You got to like kids. You have to like them. Not just in a like, I'm the boss and you're the child, but you actually have to appreciate them as humans. And I have met teachers who don't appreciate that. Like they don't, they genuinely don't like kids. Like, why are you here? Makes no Um, sense to me. And then, you know, within that, then you also finding a place where, you know, like my kids, we, I think we have like 86% Hispanic, Mm -hmm. about probably about 10, 11% black. And then the rest is a kind of a mixed, you know, we, our kids are mostly low socioeconomic. They're English language learners. We're also in an area in East Arlington that is, um, We have a bit of a reputation and so it can be a more difficult environment. If you're not comfortable with that, then that's not the place for you. And that's okay. Somebody needs to teach in South Lake. Somebody needs to teach in Highland Park. You know, you've got to find your niche. So I would say that's the biggest, you know, if you like kids, if you genuinely like kids, you're going to be all right as a teacher. I love that. It's interesting to see. So you're the second teacher that I've interviewed so far, and I plan on having many more. It's interesting to see in a lot of the ways that you guys are mirroring each other's answers. Mm-hmm. And that that just bodes, you know, the more you hear it, the more it kind of solidifies. Yeah, this is, yeah. you need to like kids. <laughs> that's an important part of teaching because that's who you're dealing with all day. And yeah. yeah, that's really good. I would say one thing I've discovered as a teacher, I have discovered as a grown up that I have ADHD. Hmm. And teaching actually fits that <laughs> because it's never, there's never a dull moment. Everything changes all the time. Yep. So uh, someone who is flexible, someone who teachers need to be lifelong learners too, always learning, always growing. The minute you become the expert, it's time to go try something else. Yeah. You know, and, and having the vacations, which... In air quotes there. Yeah. In air quotes, because that's one of the things that people don't realize is we don't get paid summers. Like technically the paycheck that I get has been withheld from my paycheck for the rest of the year during the actual school year so that I get paid throughout the summer, but it's for work that I already did that I should have been being paid for all along. Yeah. So we don't get paid summers. We don't get paid vacations. That's not how it works, but it is nice to have some. I always get bank holidays. Yeah, that's good. A little bit of structure to the year that you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Even if the work itself is crazy and the weeks are long, you do have, okay, I I can at least catch my breath maybe for a second at these specific intervals. So that's good. Yeah, so that is helpful. A little bit of a rabbit trail, but I wanted to ask this. What can friends of teachers do to help support them the most? Well, there's the stock answers, coffee, Mm -hmm. food, you know, and then here, this is, we might get on a little bit of a soapbox here, but vote. I'm planning on going there a little bit because that's part of why I brought you on. So go ahead. Okay. Uh, vote, vote in yes. the interest of teachers and students. Vote for leaders who will act in the best interest of our biggest non-voting constituency. Right. That would be our kids. That would be vote in their best interest, which is to vote in the best interest of teachers. 
Hmm. Vote for those who will increase funding. I heard a leader say once that you can't fix problems by throwing money at it, but you can't fix problems by not throwing money at it. You know, there's, yes, there are issues within education that funding won't fix, but let's try. Yeah. Let's make some issues can be fixed with funding. (laughs) Some issues can be fixed with funding. You know, let's take technology, right? We are in the 21st century. We are a kind of a postmodern technological society, right? Everything, here we are, we're on Zoom. Here we are, we're using technology to move forward. And not having the best technology, not having access to apps that will actually help, um, not having access to uh, strong Wi-Fi. Our testing is now online. Yeah. Right? Our standardized testing is online. Middle of the test day, the Wi-Fi goes down. Yep. What do you do? Wi-Fi crashes, right? Like we should in this kind of society with the advantages that we enjoy, they should have access to the best of the best. Yes. And instead we get the dregs, you know, so voting in the interest, you know, keeping them in mind. That's good. So what, one more soapboxy type question, because I'm curious your opinion on this. If you were one of the people that was in a position of power and you actually had a say in the way that we're doing things, like what one or two things, if you had the ability to make the change, would you change to our system to make it better for teachers, better just for education overall? Our educational system needs an overhaul. Yeah. And it goes back to, I mean, we can go back to foundational things such as how we fund education. I have become over the years a pretty firm believer that our method of funding education through property taxes is inherently racist, classist, and is probably unconstitutional. I agree. Um, So that would be one of the first places I would start is where do we even, we need an overhaul and how we even fund education. And then what we do with that funding, we spent 326 million, I think it's an M, it might be a B, Mm -hmm. um, on standardized testing last year alone. If anybody needs advice on how that money could be better spent, ask the teacher. Ask someone, and this is part of the problem, right? Well, that's why I wanted to ask you, because I'm like, how could we do it better? You're on the front lines, you know. We're in the trenches. And when those decisions, and this is, you know, one of the things I would say in the state of Texas, our secretary of education is an appointed position. This is not an elected position. Hmm. And so time after time after time, we have our current secretary of education in Texas is not an educator. Blows my mind. He's not an educator. He's never been in a classroom. Why is he making decisions for my classroom? Yeah. Why does that have any, but because it's an appointed position, it doesn't, we don't have a say in who is in that position. So those of us boots on the ground don't get a say in that. So I would want to see that changed. I would want to see the structure of how decisions are made for the teachers in the classroom, take teachers into consideration. That's good. It's very much not that right now. And in Texas, you asked. (laughs) I did ask. Yes, go ahead. (laughs) This is a big controversy in education, right? Because in Texas, we are a right to work state, which means we cannot unionize. And teachers have been traditionally our certifications, our jobs are threatened if we strike, if we talk about collective bargaining, if we talk about those things, um, we can actually be fired and have our certifications revoked. So it's 
you know, protecting ourselves as workers can actually jeopardize our careers. And so we've been basically flogged into silence. Yeah. So it maintains this imbalance of power where we, the workers in the trenches, have no say in our compensation, in our benefits, in our working conditions, in our, we have associations in Texas, but their bargaining power, their political sway, it's pretty non-existent. Yeah. So Nancy, we've talked a lot about, you know, a lot of the systemic and structural issues and uh, other things that we could do to make the profession better. And yet I see that you are still, you know, you've been in this for something like 12, 15 years. You haven't left. What's fulfilling about the job? Why, why should somebody consider entering the profession in spite of the challenges that it has? Again, it goes back to the kids. Because you care about the kids. Because I care about the kids and because I understand education, a good, strong education is actually the building block of a strong functional society. It is. And I firmly believe that. And so I've been out of education at various points, as I described. Um, and even this, the last, I was out for about eight years doing other things. And I started volunteering in a friend's classroom because I just couldn't get away from it. Yeah. She was a kindergarten teacher and I would go sit and work with the kids on their phonics and on their word sight words. And because I believe that a strong education, having an educated populace is only beneficial to all of us. Yeah. And so that's why I stay. I can't do anything else. And how I'm involved in it may change, you know, with my new role and some of the other things I'm doing, uh, it may change, but I will work within the system the best way I can. And then on the outside, work to change the system. That's perfectly said. I love that. Normally next, I'd talk a little bit about compensation. I think all we really need to cover with a teacher is obviously most people don't go in for making the big bucks. And usually online, you can see what for your state, what entry level would look like and then middle career. And and so you can find that information pretty easily if if you're looking for it. So I think that's enough said as far as that goes. Nancy, we just have a couple more things to say. Uh, I want to give you the opportunity. Do you have any funny or interesting or on-the-job stories or any maybe horror stories that you would want to share? It's not a big story, but it's just why I love working with junior hires. My kids were working. This was towards the end of the school year, and my kids were just working. And they, as long as they're working, I don't mind if they're talking, right? They can chat. And I like to listen to the conversations just, you know, because they're funny. And and then I always get the tea on who's dating who and who's, you know, all this kind of stuff. One of my boys looks across the table at one of the girls. They were supposed to be working on a project. And he goes, you're such a gummy worm. And just, (laughs) I was like, like, what? Like, huh? (laughs) You know, and so that kind of, I love that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Horror stories. Gosh, any of the horror stories you know, the kids will break your heart. You know, you start hearing about the conditions that they live in um, and you start hearing about the things that they're experiencing. That'll break your heart. Yeah. And that'll keep you coming back because, you know, the, the, all the motivational stories are true, right? What if you're the one friendly face? You know, I did have a kid. um, It's not so much a horror story so much as it is understanding the influence that we do have had a kid couple of years ago and he was kind of chronically late for school and I had him first period. So he comes in one day late, sits down and puts his head down on the table mm. and just fully head buried in his arms. 
he wasn't exactly the most stellar student. So I didn't, you know, it wasn't abnormal for that to happen. But that day, for some reason, I just, I said, I went over and I said, hey, are you okay? And he looked up at me and he'd clearly been crying. Hmm. You know, seventh grade boys, they're not going to show you they've been crying, right? So I said, hey, come here, pull him out in the hallway. And he said, my cousin got shot in my driveway this morning. Oh my gosh. Right. And of course I'm like, okay. So I said, do you want to go talk to somebody? Cause we have counselors on campus. He said, yeah, I do. So I immediately called his counselor and said, Hey, can this guy come see you? Of course, of course. So, you know, he went and the counselor helped him through that. And then uh, about a month later, he comes running in on time. He, co- he comes in and he was kind of goofy. So he was being kind of goofy. And I asked him, I was like, hey, yeah. how's the morning going? And he goes, my cousin came home from the hospital yesterday. He's okay. He's going to be okay. So it's like, you know, and you yeah. just, it goes back to that. Whole, these are just, they're humans. Yep. And they're having a full human experience. And, you know, the humanity of it. It's beautiful and messy and terrifying. And we have to think about things like intruder lockdowns and putting metal detectors at the front. And, you know, we have to think about all those things. And then you hear what these kids are dealing with outside, you know, when they go home, they may not eat. You know, we're, we're seeing the funding that was approved for the pandemic uh-huh. so that every kid got lunch, breakfast and lunch. That ends June 30th. Wow. Right. In the middle of this inflation that we have and all that kind of stuff. We've got kids. I have kids that I know school is where they ate. Yeah. And, you know, that's you can't I can't fix all those problems. But you can be a small part of the solution. I can be a small part at school and then I can be a big part on the outside. Yes. Yeah, it really is the front lines. We need we need a lot more people like you in in education and politics everywhere. I'm, I'm with you. Education is the backbone of a healthy society. And it's not just education. It's also developing humans. And in order to develop, you need to be able to eat. You need to be able to get to school and not have to worry about your cousin being shot, things like that. You know, it, it's, yeah. Or being shot at school. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we could spend many podcasts talking about all this. I just, but I I don't, uh, in, in the interest of this show, I just want to make sure that we stay mostly on track. Do we have one last question, but before I get there, did we miss anything as far as like the teaching profession, somebody who's considering being a teacher or is just starting out? Do we miss anything that you can think of that would be helpful for them to know? I don't think so. I think the emphasis on getting into a classroom as soon as you can, even as an observer, to see what it really looks like. Yeah. Is probably the best piece of advice. Great. Okay. Well, then my final question is what's the best practical advice you would give to someone who wants to do what you do? Resources. I know you said Harry Wong's book. What was it called? Uh, the first days of school. First days of school. So classroom management, you've been throwing out so many good tips throughout the podcast, but any just kind of final words, piece of advice, how does somebody enter the teaching profession and then be successful at it? So take each and every interview you're offered because you never know. You might not think that that school is going to be a good fit, but then you meet the administration and know this is a vision. This is something you can get behind. So take the interview, be open-minded, learn, and don't ever lose that. Don't ever lose curiosity. 
be curious about the kids, be curious about the process, be curious about how you can improve, you know, what don't you know? Be open to teaching others, be open to helping others become better. And, you know, work-life balance is a thing. Yeah. I'm still working on that. So I don't have a lot of great advice to give on that one because as my kids will tell you, mine is not great. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just, you know, just remember that it's easy to burn out and to maintain your own, take care of yourself. Yeah. Healthy, supportive people around you is a huge part of success and yeah. avoiding burnout and then knowing yourself and knowing when when breaks need to be taken. And it can be difficult because it, it requires so much of you and you might already be at, at the breaking point and then more is required of you. And so what do you do then? And that's probably a case by case basis where you have to navigate. All right, I need to, here's where I need to set a boundary. Yes. And that can be difficult to manage, but it is possible. I know teachers it that do it possible. and uh, yeah, you can do it too. So it awesome. Nancy, thank you so much for saying yes to do this podcast. I enjoyed talking with you and uh, I'm excited to release this one. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jameson. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the What's That Job Like podcast. Two quick things. One, please subscribe and review the show. It takes less than a minute and it does a ton to help. Two, I would love your feedback. Is there a certain career you want to hear from, a question you'd like me to ask my guests, or anything else? Let me know. My email is jameson at whatsthatjoblike.com. Again, that's J-A-M-E-S-O-N at whatsthatjoblike.com. That is also where you can email me if you are interested in being a guest on my show. I am rapidly trying to get hundreds of interviews because I think that's how this whole project will come together and help as many people as possible. So again, please subscribe and I'll catch you next time.